Jared, thank you for that introduction and for all the preparation you put into it <laughs> in particular. Please turn with me to Psalm 107. And I want to say at the outset that uh, over the years, this conference, the Worship God Conference, has been such a blessing to me and has had a significant impact on my life. This conference has consistently refreshed me. It has helped me to be a better pastor. It has greatly strengthened our church to have members and, uh, and worship leaders and musicians and pastors uh, here at this conference. Bob, I thank God for your leadership. Thank you for all of the work you put into this and for serving us so well. God has been so good to us during this time and his grace has been on display in so many ways and I am anticipating how God will continue to meet with us in his word. Uh, this morning I am eager to celebrate together the unchanging love of God. You know from your own experience that so much in life changes. We grow up, we leave home, friendships change, trials come, loved ones go to be with Christ, and it seems at times that life is one change and transition after another. But God is reminding us this morning that the great and glorious constant through it all is his unchanging love. And it is my prayer that each one of us return to our churches after this conference and spend all of our days resting and rejoicing in the unchanging, steadfast love of the Lord. Psalm 107 was one of the psalms the people of God sang when they returned from exile. It is a psalm of thanksgiving. It is a joyful psalm. It is a psalm that's praising God for his goodness and his love. The unchanging goodness of God provides the unchanging basis of our unchanging thankfulness and praise to God. Psalm 107, and I'd like to invite you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Also, it seems fitting to me that those who praise the Lord so loudly and passionately through song, which is this group, not be entirely silent during the preaching of God's word. Because what is preaching but a continuation of the adoration and worship that we give to the God who has saved us as he makes himself known to us in his holy and authoritative word. Psalm 107 We'll read the entirety of this psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry 
and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land, into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. 
By his blessing, they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless waste. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. May God bless the preaching of his word. Amen, you may be seated. I don't know a lot about the depths of the ocean. I've seen videos narrated by David Attenborough that have captivated me, that have amazed me, that have presented some of the astounding glory of the ocean deeps. But in terms of my own knowledge, in terms of my own experience, I have only spent time at the very edge of the ocean by the crashing waves where my feet can touch the ground at all times. To say that I have mastered the ocean, to say that I know all about the ocean deeps would be a joke. The same is true of our knowledge of the unchanging love of God. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones who gave me this comparison. He once said, we must never fall into the error of imagining that because we are Christians, we therefore know all about the love of God. He says, most of us are but as children paddling at the edge of an ocean. There are glorious depths in this love of God of which we know nothing. The ocean of God's love is infinitely vast and we have not mastered this love and we never will. We are not experts on the love of God. We are children paddling at the edge of an ocean. His love for us is so great and his gospel so glorious that we will never exhaust its depths. Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, our chief defect as Christians is that we fail to realize Christ's love to us. How often have you thought about this? He says, we spend time thinking about our activities and our problems, but the most important necessity in the Christian life is to know Christ's love to us. What's our chief defect? Our chief defect is that we do not sufficiently understand and enjoy and rest in the unchanging love of God for sinners. In Ephesians 3, which we had read the opening night of this conference, there is that remarkable prayer where Paul says he bows his knees and prays for a mighty outpouring of spiritual power in the hearts of God's people. Why? So that we might have strength to comprehend more of the breathtaking riches of the love of Christ for us. The assumption behind that prayer is that those original recipients and Christians everywhere do not sufficiently know and appreciate the staggering glory of the love of Christ. His love 
is broad enough to spread to all nations. His love is long enough that he has loved us before the foundation of the world and will love us through all eternity. His love is high enough that all of heaven and earth will praise him. And his love is deep enough that it reaches even to the greatest of sinners. Psalm 107 is therefore addressing our chief defect. It is addressing the most important necessity in the Christian life to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. God intends for this Psalm, Psalm 107, to deepen our knowledge of his great love and to catapult us into a life of thanksgiving as a response to his great love. His intent is that the redeemed of God would rise up and sing of the goodness and steadfast love of the Lord. Verse one, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? What reason do we have to give thanks to the Lord? For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Notice the reason given to praise God is specifically the duration, the duration of his goodness and mercy. His steadfast love endures forever. Here is a steadfast love. Here is a love that will not change. Here is the covenant love of God by which he is fiercely and eternally committed to your good. God says in Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Psalm 23 verse six declares that the Lord's goodness and mercy will follow you, not some of the days of your life, but all the days of your life. When Christ embraces a sinner in his arms of love, he never lets go. His steadfast love endures forever. R.C. Sproul says this. He says something remarkable. He wrote uh, the book on the holiness of God, as you know. He said even more challenging and daunting to him was the book that he wrote on the love of God called Loved by God. And in that book, he says this, understanding the eternality of God, which is what we've been considering together, his unchanging nature, the eternality of God, understanding the eternality of God is important because without some understanding of this attribute, our understanding of the love of God will be impoverished. This is so because the love of God must be understood as an eternal love. Just as he, God, is from everlasting to everlasting, so his love is from everlasting to everlasting. His is not a fickle love. I'll hear this today, Christian. His is not a fickle love that waxes hot and cold over time. His love has a constancy about it that transcends all human forms of love. R.C. Sproul says the love of God for his redeemed is not only from everlasting, it is to everlasting. It is a love without end, a love that never ceases. And he says in this regard, the love that the father has for his son is poured out on us forever. 
this is the eternal, steadfast love of God for us. The call to worship in Psalm 107 continues. It's there in verses one through three. It continues, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from every tribe and tongue, from every ethnicity and nationality, God is gathering those he has redeemed. Diverse people from diverse places, all with one shared anthem of praise to the unchanging love of God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord not remain silent. How can those redeemed by the blood of Christ possibly remain silent and unaffected? It cannot be. Let the redeemed of God rise up and sing. Let the redeemed of God give thanks to the Lord. Let the redeemed of God marvel and rejoice in the riches of his love. When I was, when I was a teenager, I went through an awful phase where I was miserable and foolish and bored by everything. Some of you know this about my story. Part of that was that these teen years of wherever my family went, I stayed in the van, even for, for hours at a time. My parents one year had saved up so that our family could take um, a, a big vacation out to the, to the Western states, a once in a lifetime family vacation where there were all of these majestic views and incredible national parks that we visited. One place we went was a breathtaking outlook at Jenny Lake, where you see this magnificent, crystal clear, deep blue lake with the awe-inspiring Grand Teton Mountains towering in the background, reflecting in full color off of the lake. I've been told it's amazing, but I wouldn't know because I stayed in the van the entire time. I did not care about this glorious view. I was unaffected by these wonders so close to me. I stayed in the van. Psalm 107 is calling us to get out of the van and to marvel at the greatness of God's unchanging love. First, verses 4 through 32 celebrate God's unchanging love in delivering us from sin. What we have, as you may have noticed when we read, four pictures of human predicament and divine deliverance. Each picture is a different way of describing the varied effects and consequences of sin in our lives. And each picture displays the riches of God's love for sinners. These pictures are the stories of our lives, and we can relate to each one. In each case, you may have noticed this pattern. There is a moment of distress. There is a cry for help. There is a divine rescue, and there is an exhortation then to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. So distress, crying out, deliverance, thanksgiving. The distress comes from a moment of realization that left to ourselves, we are totally helpless and hopeless. And friends, we need to remember that we were once in distress. If you have never been in distress about yourself, I can assure you, you are not a Christian. 
we cannot save ourselves. And the Christian is one who knows that. We, we cannot rescue ourselves. We need to be rescued by another. And this is demonstrated in these four pictures. First, there are those lost in the wilderness, verses four through nine. They've lost their way. They are hungry. They are exhausted. They are unsatisfied. This is a description of the spiritual lostness and spiritual hunger that the world experiences apart from Christ. This world is full of empty cisterns that cannot satisfy. And there are so many people today who feel homeless and have no peace and no place to settle. They are wandering, lost, and without hope. That was our situation. And then second, there are those trapped in darkness, verses 10 through 16. These are people sitting in chains bound by sin. They have sinned and rebelled against a holy God and sin, as sin always does, has enslaved them and they are unable to escape. They cannot break free from their anger. They cannot break free from their pride, their lust, their discontentment, their complaining, their sinful anxiety. They are enslaved to sin and unable to escape. They are the objects of God's righteous wrath. This was our situation. Third, there are those who are weak and self-damaged. In verses 17 through 22, they are fools who have made a mess of their lives through self-centered living. And their physical and spiritual health has been damaged because of poor decisions. Derek Kidner says verse 18 could call to mind the drug addict, but he says only as one example of man's perennial determination to get hurt. We think of those with addictions, we think of those bent on folly. We think of those overwhelmed by fear and discouragement. We can think more broadly of all who are weak and sick. That was our situation. And then fourth, there are those fearful in the storm in verses 23 through 32. They are in the storm at sea. They are, they are threatened by forces outside their control. It is a life full of chaos, full of turmoil, the outward storms of circumstances, the inward storms of sin, and they are on a small boat in a massive storm, and it is absolutely terrifying. The problems of life are too big for us to manage. Our planning, all of our proactive leadership, all of our management skills are not enough. This is those who are storm-tossed and at the end of themselves. They are desperate for peace, for calm, for hope, for rescue. That was our situation. In each one of these four situations, the people of God are those who cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord because they knew there was nothing they could do to help themselves. Those in the wilderness could not find their own way. Those in the prison cell could not free themselves. Those who were sick could not heal themselves. And those in the storm could not deliver themselves. But what man could not do, God has done. 
You don't become a Christian by being morally superior, but by crying out in desperation and humbly acknowledging, I need a savior. I need deliverance. And if you have never cried out to the Lord, if you've never known this kind of desperation, today is the day of salvation. Call upon his name. And if you are among the redeemed who have cried out to him for mercy, remember what God has done for you. Remember what God has done. To those lost in the wilderness and wasteland of sin, God in Christ came into our desert place. He came to us to bring us home to him, and he gives us an eternal city to dwell in, a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He came to bring us a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and he satisfies us in Christ so that we will never hunger or thirst again. Verse 9 says, for he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. And second, to those trapped and enslaved in the darkness of sin and death. Every one of us were once there. But Christ in his death and resurrection has set us free. Verse 14, he brought them out of darkness. You were once in darkness. How are you no longer in darkness? There is one who brought you out. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Verse 16, for he, the Lord, shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound by sin and nature's night. Thine eye, the eye of God, diffused a quickening wet ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, I went forth, I followed thee. This is what God has done. And whom the sun sets free is free indeed. To those who are weak and self-damaged. Verse 20, he sent out his word and healed them. The gospel, the gospel makes us new creations, cleansing us, healing us, changing us from the inside out. God in Christ is restoring all that has been ruined by sin. Jesus makes all things new. And to those fearful in the chaos, this fourth picture, verse 29 says, he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And verse 30, gloriously, he brought them to their desired haven. That's what the gospel does. Christ is the master of the sea, the one sovereign over the sea who entered the storm for us to bring us to an eternal haven, to bring us to a place of peace and rest, a refuge, to bring us to a refuge where God will dwell with all the redeemed. Oh, consider, remember, celebrate what God has done 
When we wandered in the wilderness, he came after us. He brought us into his city. When we were imprisoned in darkness, he is the one who set us free. When we were sick, he healed us. And when we were storm-tossed, he rescued us. In every case, and this is the stories of our lives, there is a deliverance that reveals the steadfast love of the Lord for the redeemed. And today, we know about the steadfast love of the Lord in much deeper ways than the psalmist knew because God, in order to rescue us from our folly and misery and sin, gave his son for us to die in our place. The greatest love the world has ever known is the dying love of Jesus Christ. No other love comes at so great a cost. No other love is shown to such great enemies. No other love is so steadfast and unchanging. No other love so richly transforms and blesses those who receive it. There is no other love like the love of Calvary. Consider the moment of the cross. Consider his bloody sweat in the garden of Gethsemane. See him then bearing his own cross. Hear him in agony crying out to the Father. See him bearing our sins. See him enduring the wrath of God against sin. This is love. This is love. Here is love vast as the ocean. See the Prince of Life shedding his precious blood. The cross is the pulpit of God's love. The cross is where God has made his goodness pass before us. And from the unchanging nature of God, that doctrine that is so important to us to consider, from the truth that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, here's what you can know for certain. You can know on the authority of Scripture that Christ's heart for you now from heaven's throne is the same as it was in that dying hour when he bore your sins and shed his precious blood for you. He loves you. He loves you no less today than he did the day he died for you. Remember and do not forget, never forget what you have been rescued from. Remember your past. Remember your story of rescuing love and give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Second point, if verses four through 32 celebrate God's unchanging love and delivering us from sin, Verses 33 through the end of the chapter, through, through verse 43, celebrate God's unchanging love in all his dealings with us. God's unchanging love in all his dealings with us. Verses 33 through 43 is the conclusion describing the times of adversity and abundance that God brings to his people all as expressions of his unfailing love to us. God leads and sustains his people through pain and trial and through times of joy and abundance. And through it all, though circumstances are changing, his steadfast love 
remains. In his great love, he still hears us in our moments of distress. In his love, he works glorious reversals in our lives. We learn from this section of scripture. It reminds us of Hannah's song. It reminds us of Mary's song. These great reversals, turning grief to gratefulness, turning darkness to light, taking the barren place and making it a spring. If you are presently in affliction, and I believe the song that Bob shared earlier was to minister to you and the spirit of God is and has been ministering to you. If you are experiencing what verse 39 describes as oppression, evil, and sorrow. If you are in a situation where it is difficult for you because of life's circumstances to perceive the love of God for you, remember, please remember, that we must never measure God's love by the presence or absence of difficulty. Rather, we must always measure his love by the reality of the cross of Christ. Christopher Ashe says this, commenting on this psalm, he says, the ups and downs of life, so some of you may be on the up, some of you may be in a down place, the ups and downs of life are not evidence that God's love has strengthened or weakened. Because we are in Christ, who fully and finally satisfied God's law, each one, the ups and the downs, the blessings and the hardships, each one is the constant outworking of his unchanging love. God really does love you, and that is always cause for giving joyful thanks to him. Friends, God really does love you, and he is sovereignly, mysteriously working everything that you experience for your good and for his glory. All of it, all of it is the constant outworking of his unchanging love. Octavius Winslow, I, I read this the other day and it blew me away. I think the name of the book is Our God. Um, he has a chapter on the love of God and what he says is that we need to learn to trace the love of God in all his dealings with his people. This is what he says. The path along which our heavenly father is conducting us homeward is a checkered path. It is paved with stones, precious stones, of many shapes and hues. But faith reads it all and gratitude accepts it all as resolved into God's eternal and unchangeable love. He says there can be nothing but love in the conduct of him, mysterious and painful though that conduct may be, there can be nothing but love in the conduct of him who laid our sins, curse, and condemnation on his beloved son, wounding, bruising, and putting him to grief and to death for us. In this light then, in light of the cross, we are to read all his dealings with us. It may be a hard lesson for faith to learn, a bold acknowledgement for grace to make, and a startling inference for love to draw that all God's trying, wounding, disappointing dispensations toward his people are the results of his everlasting love. But nevertheless, it is so. He is the God of love and he cannot change. Every difficulty, 
every trial, every hardship is the result of his everlasting love for you. George Matheson was born in Glasgow, Scotland in 1842. By the age of 18, he was totally blind. And in spite of that disability, he went on to be an accomplished Bible scholar and teacher. George Matheson had been engaged to be married as a teenager, but when his fiance discovered that he was going to be blind, she left him. And he was devastated. And it was Matheson's sister who cared for him in his blindness. But then years later, his sister was engaged to be married. And Matheson, in that moment, was reminded of the heartbreak of the former relationship he had lost. And with his sister now entering marriage, the wound was fresh. And years later, he still grieved that his desire to be married had not been fulfilled. And yet he knew that marriage does not complete or satisfy us most deeply. Only the love of Christ can do that. And so the night before his sister's wedding, in the midst of his great sorrow and distress, he wrote one of the great hymns of the 19th century. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. Great sorrow, great distress, yes, and yet he had this unshakable hope in the unchanging love of God. Friends, do you have that same confidence today? Has your weary soul found rest in knowing there is a love that will never let you go? I love all of the great benedictions of scripture. One of my favorites is 2 Thessalonians 3, verse five. If you're not familiar with this gem of a verse, I just wanna give it to you, you can take this with you. 2 Thessalonians 3, five says, may the Lord direct your hearts, where? To the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Where is your heart directed today? Where will your heart be directed as you return home? You will not go wrong in life if your heart is directed toward the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Why? Because human love will fail and human steadfastness will falter but the love of God endures forever and the steadfastness of Christ is unfailing. He will not disappoint. He will not fail. He, in his great love, is the constant in your life. Never changing love, unrelenting love, following you all the days of your life. John Stott says, our confidence is not in our love for God, which is frail, fickle, and faltering. Our confidence is in his love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and preserving. Our confidence is in his love. To live a life, what do you want your life to be? Here it is, to live a life knowing and enjoying and resting in the unchanging love of God is the best life imaginable in this world. 
This is, in fact, the whole secret to wisdom in life. Do you want to be a wise and discerning person? Verse 43, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. You want to gain wisdom? Study the steadfast love of the Lord. We gain wisdom by studying, by discerning the unchanging love of God revealed at the cross and written on the pages of our lives. There are 10,000 ways the steadfast love of God has been shown in his providential dealings with us. And we must learn to trace them out and to discern them and to celebrate them and thank God for them. When I was a very arrogant young man, it was the steadfast love of the Lord that convicted me of sin and brought me to tears of repentance. When my two-year-old daughter was diagnosed with cancer, the steadfast love of the Lord sustained and comforted us and preserved her life. God's steadfast love has given me countless blessings that I do not deserve. Daily provision of food and clothing, a home, a church, friendships, a dream job, and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Study your life, study your story, and you will find that the unchanging love of the Lord is there in every season, in every storm, in every blessing. True wisdom is found in discerning and celebrating the unchanging love of God in all his dealings with us. Now, one more step. The conclusion of each of the four portraits of deliverance we have seen calls for thankfulness and praise. Verse eight, verse 15, verse 21, and verse 31 all repeat the anthem of the redeemed. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. The unchanging love and goodness of God in our deliverance from sin and all the days of our lives throughout his good and sovereign providence is intended to produce a life of thanksgiving and praise in every one of us today. Because your steadfast love is better than life, Psalm 63, three, my lips will praise you. Psalm 90, verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. Verse one of our text, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The main thing to take back to your church from this conference is not everything that the church needs to be doing different or how to improve various aspects of your church's approach to musical worship. The main thing to take back is not the, the books and the gifts that you have received, though we see God's kindness and generosity in that. The main thing to take back to your church is a personal vision of the greatness of our unchanging God, a rejoicing in his unchanging love for you, and a resolve to live a life of thankfulness and praise as long as you have breath. 
You, you take that, you model that, and that spreads through a church. That shapes a culture. This is to be our response. Verse 22 says, let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Your life, all of it, every day, not Sundays only, not conferences only, the whole of your life is to be an offering, the sacrifices of thanksgiving to God. G.K. Chesterton once said that there is no higher form of thought than thankfulness. And he said, which is the letter sign that we currently have in our kitchen at home, he said, gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. What is, it? What is thankfulness? What is gratitude? It is happiness doubled by wonder. Does your heart know the regular experience of happiness doubled by wonder? Is your heart filled with thankfulness? Would those who know you best describe you as a grateful person? Here's, here's one way that I always think about, about this. You need to fight for a thankful heart now because if you live long enough, one day you're gonna be old. And then whatever gratitude or ingratitude is in your heart is just gonna come out because old people don't care anymore. <laughs> you, you don't want the future you to be a grumpy, bitter old person. You, you want to be a happy, thankful person, rejoicing in the Lord, testifying to his goodness as long as you have breath. If you have been delivered from sin and death, ultimately you cannot go through life downcast and discouraged and defeated. You must join in the choir of the redeemed, giving joyful thanks to God for his steadfast love. Yes, there is difficulty. Yes, there are discouragements. Yes, there is sorrow. But the dominant note of the Christian life is praise because the dominant factor in God's dealings with us is his goodness. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and, verse 22, tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Lifting songs of praise joyfully to the God who has saved us. You probably weren't asked to serve on the band because they needed more people to critique the song selection and critique the arrangement. What, do we, what we do need in the church of Christ is more people to lead the way in offering sacrifices of thanksgiving, lead the way in telling of his deeds in songs of joy. We sing to the Lord. Singing engages our emotions. Singing expresses our unity as the blood-bought people of God. Singing edifies the saints and glorifies the God who has redeemed us. And so we sing to the Lord. And the hymn does not say, streams of mercy never ceasing call for whispers of praise. No, streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. I, I love what, I've learned this from Bob Coughlin. I'll give you a heads up that this is your quote. So, you, yeah, he says the question, the question is not do you have a voice, but do you have a song? 
It's not do I have, sometimes when I'm here, I, say, I would like to apologize to anyone who sits in front of me here at this conference, all of these musicians, all of you such good singers, people are like, who brought this guy? <laughs> we lift our voices loudly in song because God has given us a song. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of God rise up and sing his praises. Verse 32, let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. God has gathered his redeemed. God has set his unchanging love upon you. And God is calling the redeemed to rise up and sing to declare his goodness, to say, we give thanks, oh God, for your steadfast love. We give thanks, oh God, for you are good. Lord, you are good. Stand with me as we close here. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, whatever others may think or say, whatever others may think or say, the redeemed, that's us, the redeemed have overwhelming reasons for declaring the goodness of the Lord. The Redeemer is so glorious, the ransom price so immense, and the redemption so complete that they are under sevenfold obligations to give thanks to the Lord and to exhort others to do so. You and I today have overwhelming reasons to praise the Lord. What a Redeemer! What a ransom price. What riches of mercy and love we have received and will receive forever. You say, I don't know, life's not going too good. Overwhelming reasons. You have overwhelming reasons for declaring the goodness of God. Has the Lord delivered you from your distress? Yes, he has. Has, has the Lord rescued you from sin and death? Has the Son of God loved you and given himself for you? Has God brought you out of darkness? Has he burst your bonds apart? Has he filled your hungry soul with really, really good things? Yes, and has he given you a song of joy? Yes, well then let the redeemed of God rise up and sing. Let the redeemed of God get out of the van. Get out of the van and marvel at the unchanging love of our Redeemer. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Hallelujah. Amen.